Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn. That's me. Uh, we've got a fun show lined up for you today, an informative show, damn it. A uh, fun, informative show. So uh, what more can you ask for? <laughs> Sam and I are uh, joined presently by uh, one of my old teammates, one of my old roommates on all the various teams as I got through that gypsy lifestyle. Uh, goalkeeping specialist, Greg Kenny. Greg was a standout keeper at Penn State. At least that's what he told the girls at the sorority. But Greg has coached and is coaching in the college and professional ranks, and it's always fun to get caught up with Greg. Greg, how are you this morning? Very good, Kevin. Good, Thanks good to for see you, Sam. Sam good to see you, Kevin. Uh, you can see us on the zoom here. Um, we, we can see you unfortunately. Um, but, uh, <laughs> look, got big, you know, U S men's national team qualifiers coming up. You've got, uh, them going up against El Salvador, January 27th in Columbus, Ohio, which is a potential wind chill freeze factor warnings. I mean, they're talking about some crazy, crazy ass weather, uh, to play in. Then they're going to play in Canada, in Toronto, which, uh, as Sam, as you said just before we got in the air, that's about as far south as you can get in Canada is Toronto, and that's going to be freezing. Uh, and then it's Honduras in Orlando on February 2nd. But, Greg, playing in cold weather as a player is one thing. It's it's difficult, I think, the way you, you touch on the ball and, and everything else. But you're sweating. You're moving around, constant motion. What is it like for a goalkeeper to play in the, those cold conditions that, that the U.S. men's national team has coming up? Well, yeah, I think you got a couple of things, Kevin. Is one is I don't think it. Sometimes when it's that cold, it's not wet. Wet right. and cold is a nightmare. So you basically what you, you're going to want to make sure you do is warm up properly and then get some dry clothes on because they have very well made equipment um, that's going to that's going to keep you warm enough. Uh, the goalkeeper gloves now, for example, Royce has has um, those finger safes. And there's actually a pocket in the back of the glove that you could put those hand warmers in. So oh, the from that standpoint, you, you should be OK. You know, if you're you know, you see some of these guys in the NFL and they have their arms hanging out and um, but they get to go to the bench and, you know, put the sweat jacket on. Right. Right. Uh, my feeling is, is as long as you warm up properly and then get that wet stuff off and put something you know ski worthy on underneath your your gear and you should be all right there's no reason not to wear pants um you know uh, you don't need to make it difficult on you yourself. hope you wear pants yeah you make it difficult on everybody else if you're not wearing <laughs> pants because <laughs> you don't know where to look um well, I wonder if they have like do they have heating elements in a lot of these uh, gloves and shirts like they, you know, you're starting to buy vests and stuff that have heater. I could see that for a goalkeeper, some sort of, you know, yeah, well, the, the, the gloves that they have those finger safe things where you yeah. where they prevent your finger from. Well, you have to put those in the glove. So what I would do with my kids is I would just un, um, just unzip the glove and slide one of those warm things one of those warm things warm packets yeah yeah, yeah exactly like electronic kind of an electronic yeah. thing so so u.s men's national team look sam i know you do not like the cold weather right well it's not that i'm against the cold weather i just think it's a little you know learn, learning about this game in columbus and the potential you know wind chill freeze factor or whatever it is they're talking about i mean I do think as a strategy to schedule these games sort of in as extreme temperatures as possible, especially when playing the teams from Central America, 
is a little, I don't know. There's some gamesmanship going on there. Absolutely. Um, and I, I, I'm not entirely sure that I agree with it. I mean, looking back at that Canada, Mexico game that was played up in Winnipeg or uh, Edmonton, actually this Oof. fall where there was, you know, snow stacked on the outside and it just looked brutal to play in. Um, right. And, you know, it's hard in Canada, like you were saying, not to go anywhere that's not too cold. But I think Edmonton is pretty is pretty extreme. Yeah. They were definitely um, thumbing it in the eye of the opponent. And, and it's yeah. cool. I mean, I feel like it reminds me a little bit of watching like the winter classic hockey game where you turn on. You're like, oh, cool. This outside game and it's freezing and everything. And then, uh, you know, about five minutes in, you're kind of like, wow, the quality is just completely yeah. absent. Quality. So. Quality does suffer for sure. Um, it, it, but I think. They've struggled with this. U.S. Uh, soccer has struggled with this for a while to figure out how to get a home field advantage because America, you have this very different dynamic, which is one, we're a land of immigrants. And so you play El Salvador or Honduras or Panama. And boy, fans from those countries come out in droves to see their 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 national team, even though they're living here. So that suddenly the fan base becomes it's an away game. And then if you look at like Azteca Stadium with Mexico, the players fear going there because of the altitude. They don't even go in till the day of now sometimes, but the altitude and then just the hostile environment that they play in, you know, bags of urine and batteries. And, um, yeah, so I, I mean, I obviously don't agree with any of that, but, um, you know, Mexico City itself is the capital of Mexico and it's at altitude. It's not like right. they decided to build a stadium way up in the air to make it suck for everybody. I mean, it's just kind of how it works. Yeah, but for the longest time, nobody won there because it was such a difficult playing environment. So I think U.S. soccer was basically saying, God, how do we play to our strengths? And mm. I think that's cold weather. And like you mentioned, Central America players, they're not used to basically you know, playing in that cold weather. Um, or, like, like we I all have. Yeah. Can I chip in there, Kevin? I, I no. Think uh, <laughs> there's so much overthinking. Right. I would look at our U.S. national team. How many of those players are used to playing in cold weather? Right? It's not like you're getting all our players from, you know, uh, Minnesota and whatever, yeah. Wisconsin. Not, Most of them are, are Florida and California and Jersey. And, right. and it doesn't make any sense. The, the actual challenge playing in Mexico is like Colorado Springs. You're up, you're up 6,000 feet, so there's not as much air. So there's actually a physical advantage. The other thing that's ridiculous is the assumption that the US is playing poorly when they lose in Mexico. Maybe Mexico is just a little bit better than they are. Um, not lately, that, not lately. Yeah, not lately, exactly. But, but when they had these runs of great success, they just queued up more better players. Um, well, you know that, but there's, but there's like, there's gamesmanship that goes on, especially you go to Central America. They call the hotel uh, in the yep. middle of the night. They chant and have a uh, kind of a riotous sort of atmosphere outside trying to keep the players awake. Um, you know, this, this all plays into it. So I think the only thing, you know, you're not going to have us fans calling the, um, the Mexican national team at the hotel at the Marriott trying to wake them up. It just doesn't, you know, right. Because, uh, you know, the operator at uh, in down in Mexico will be like, yes, let me patch you right through. He's <laughs> French. Um, but anyway, so I think this is the only advantage that the U.S. can have, and that's that's what they're playing. And then Canada takes that, and they take it to the 10th power, man. You think yeah. Columbus is cold? Try going to Hamilton, Tim Horton Stadium up there in Toronto, man. That's uh, that's freezing. So, Sam, you, I, I know you don't agree with it, but I, I understand it. Do you at least understand it? 
Yeah. Oh no, I can understand it. And if you're given the option, you know, why, why wouldn't you do it? I, uh, I don't know. I just think as someone who cares about the overall quality of the game on the field, right. I'd prefer it played somewhere like, you know, they don't, they don't play the Super Bowl in, in the Northeast, uh, you know, very often for, for a reason, for a good reason. And they yeah. should keep it yeah. that way. Yeah. Cause like even said, like I said, when I was at the final four to watch Clemson take the national championship, the weather was great and it was great soccer because, you know, you even mentioned Greg, you're talking about the players. Most aren't from cold climates. And I think that's something that soccer has to sort of reconcile because it's uh, it's tough. I'm out here in California now and look at all the fields that are available to players 24 seven year round. It's uh right. You know, back east, man. You know, those last couple of college games in November, or the sort of Laza League, you're you're playing in, in freezing November conditions. It's horrible, and the soccer's bad. To, to your point, yeah. Sam. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Soccer's terrible. <laughs> so, Greg, from a technical standpoint, what's it like to play in that kind of cold? You know, in terms of playing with your feet and both just shot stopping. Well, the I mean the 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 biggest challenge is wind. You know what I mean? The you know the I didn't mind playing on a nice field that was wet because everyone would always try and rip a shot. No one tries to chip you when it's wet. So you can kind of take that off the, you know, no one, you're not playing in a game when it's raining and the person looks to chip you. They're like, Oh, skip it low and skip it by them. So that's like the one thing. Ball. If the field's nice, eh, the ball's going to skip. It's a little hotter. You just get behind it. Um, windy is, is difficult, especially if it's gusty because now the ball's up in the air and it's moving and you're making some bad decisions on what crosses to come for. And there's actual, it's actually more difficult to play. Um, so how about the turf? I think wind, what's that? Sorry. How about the turf, AstroTurf, you know, the, the field? Um, turf. You know, the, the turf now is, there's such a variant in turf. I remember turf used to be basically. Concrete. Concrete with a little bit of, hair on the top of it yeah. and it was it was it sucked the plan i used to wear elbow pads and knee pads and and well, it was just yeah, but what about like that was after the game what about before? <laughs> <laughs> i walked into that one um but but now the astroturf is actually pretty good you know it's uh right. pretty spongy Better. the ball behaves pretty well um it bounces around more than it should i think it's I think it's difficult for the players because so often the ball is at that awkward height and there's some na nasty tackles still on AstroTurf because the ball sits up around, it, it doesn't settle in two bounces, it settles in a third bounce or fourth bounce and you get more clumsy stuff. So but the ball's so, gonna, yeah, the turf is easy. So it'll be interesting to see what Burhalter does. Uh, he's had some great success. Uh, you can't argue that. He's uh, scared us along the way, obviously. But there's a lot of considerations. I mean, for a national team coach that all national team coaches have to make, you know, who's currently in season, who's out of season, who's injured and not playing, who's not injured and not playing. Um, lots of considerations uh, right now. So it seems like the back, uh, it seems like his favorites – uh, Sam or Miles Robinson, Chris Richards, and um, and and Walker Zimmerman, I guess. Walker Zimmerman wasn't even going to be called into the last uh, a set of qualifiers, and then he wound up playing most of them. Um, so I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, guys. You know, your center back is your, uh, you know, the goalkeeper's best friend, I guess, right? Yeah, I, I think just to kind of, well, pardon me while I digress, is I think when you have a, a country like Germany where they decide, do we take 
do we take a team that's playing very well that has four Germans playing in the back and take those four, or do we take the four best German defenders? I think those are tougher right. decisions than the U.S. faces. The U.S. does not have, generally doesn't have four guys playing in the same place. So you're, right. you're bringing in the four best and hoping they solidify. Um, That's so an interesting that, point. You know, like said, Germany, I think uh, Sam, Spain had the same thing, right? I mean, um, you know, Spain would, do you pick the Real Madrid defenders or the Barcelona guys and, and kind of pull them as a unit? They're used to playing with each other. And, and is that an advantage, uh, you know, as you go into qualifying? Taking Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I definitely think it is. Yeah, Spain's done that. Germany's done that. Italy did that with Chiellini, Bonucci, and Barzagli at the uh, 2016 Euro to great uh, effect. And, uh, yeah, it's – I mean, it seems like kind of – they are probably also were the three best Italian defenders, to be honest. But, um, you know, when you're playing together week in, week out, it can't – can't hurt certainly but you, you know that's that's something that is different uh, with other american sports i mean saying it's sort of you're basically putting together an all-star team and sam you and i have talked about this before uh, i love the fact that now we have question marks to who's playing where in the united states because we do have some depth certainly not that level where you can keep the, the barcelona you know back four and just put them wholesale into the national team but we have players uh th that uh, you know, you're not sure who's starting, which, and, and I think this is the question where you say, do you put the 11 best players on, or do you put the best guys who are in the best form at the current time and who gel together? And that's uh, like, you guys are both big hockey people. Isn't that a big hockey concern who plays well together? Not who are the best players. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first kind of thing I thought of that, I guess people here could relate to, and probably not that many because it's hockey, but um you know, at the last Olympics that the NHL players went to, you know, Chris Kunitz, uh, who was Sidney Crosby's wing in uh, Pittsburgh, went to the Olympic team. And I think many would argue he's probably not one of the 25 best Canadian players, but the familiarity playing alongside Crosby, uh, you know, every every night for the Penguins uh, was really what made that the deciding factor. Oh, interesting. Greg? Yeah, absolutely. The, that familiarity, the, you know, uh, Kevin and I play together for all year. He sees a cross come in and, oh, this one's going to be taken. And he's already taken off. Whereas if you don't know what the goalkeeper does, or you don't, you don't, you don't have, you don't know those tendencies. Um, it makes a big difference. I, I think, and especially in, especially in soccer where you're going to be out there for 90 minutes and you can't really go to the side and regroup. You have to, you have to be familiar with each other. You know, when you're stepping up, you know, when you're dropping back, you know, um, I think it's a huge, huge difference. And you travel on the plane together and you can talk about, you know, if you're, we're coming from four different places, you all play for the same team. You're jumping on the same airline. You say, Hey, we have the U S tomorrow. Here's who we have to watch out for. Right. There's just so many pluses um, that it, that it's yeah. really a big advantage. No, yeah. Uh, I, I think it's. Oh, Go ahead, I think it's it's fair to say if the last year you know was a, a real celebration of uh, how much talent there is right now uh, within the U.S. national team. You know, from this point going forward, as the World Cup gets closer, it's it's about narrowing that down, right? Uh, and you know, putting an actual team together rather than a sort of overall bigger collective. Uh, Greg, let's ask. Uh, let's talk about. Con uh goalkeepers a little bit yeah. you know the u.s was known for just producing so many world-class goalkeepers uh for a while there you know with uh, with friedel and um casey keller and uh tim howard 
um, have we sort of fallen behind a little bit? Because that used to be the position that was like, well, we'll export the shit out of goalkeepers here in this country. Um, and now well, it seems to have slowed down. I, I agree with you. And I think it's a couple of things. I think it's um, I think the one the game has changed. You know, you have to be you know, if you put um, Keller Friedel and um, Tim Howard and you said play second base, third base and short. They would all know how to field a grounder. They would all know how to throw the ball to first base. They would all know how to do those things. In Europe, what you had was you, they were so much soccer being played and not as much basketball and not as much baseball, not as much football. Mm-hmm. So the, the hand-eye coordination of the American goalkeeper was just better. I, I remember I'd go and, and people would, I went to, uh, for my wedding, I went to um, Ireland. Oh, that, that was a sad day. <laughs> and the fact that I went and played that Gaelic football and I dribbled the ball around my back, you would have thought, you know, it's that Gaelic game where you, where you bounce the ball down and you kick it. And I just was playing pickup and I dribbled around my back and you would have thought I reinvented the wheel because they just don't, there was they not the familiarity. It. Now yeah. the nature of the game is you better have some good feet. You better be able to play a little bit. You better understand the game more. You used to be able to catch the ball, set it down, pick it up, throw it. It was, it was very easy to play goalkeeper. Yeah, they, yeah but, they, but they, so wait, wait, so what's your point? Because I think athletically, um, we've always had that advantage. You know, Tim Howard is like an all-state basketball player. It was like, yeah, these guys have game, and I guarantee you, yeah, they could all play shortstop and, uh, and turn a double play easy, the hand-eye stuff, but you're basically saying that we are not developed as a goalkeeper with our feet enough. Is that what, you're, is that well, what, what I'm saying is you used to play soccer and three others. So right. you were a good enough soccer player because your feet didn't have to be that good. What you were was a outstanding ball handler, whatever ball arrived, right. you've seen it a thousand times, right? All the, all these other countries, all they've seen is, soccer ball shot they haven't seen a football which is different they haven't seen a baseball which is different so i just think the p the americans familiarity with the ball itself separated them I used and to you remember, say, remember you just kick the ball back to the goalie he'd set it down pick it up set it down pick it up you know the old dino's off days jesus oh yeah, my god it drive us crazy yeah. I remember being um, in a Taekwondo class and the teacher was basically, and it was, you know, really international feel. And the teacher was like, Americans have such an advantage with the hand-eye coordination. It's unbelievable with throwing punches and stuff. Just, just yeah. hit the yeah, target. Like, so, you know. so let me ask you that. So, so um, and, and Sam, this is based on some of the things we had talked about before. So what what is the answer? Do you keep uh, an athletic sort of um, tall, you know, goalkeeper type, you know, build, do you keep him out on the field to a certain age? When do you start, especially in a country like America, where our hand eye stuff is all over the place? What age do you start a goalkeeper so he can be the full well-rounded player? I don't think there's any reason to be a full-time goalkeeper till you're a 10th grader. You know, maybe you play for your club full-time, but you know, in, in games, there's such, there's so much to learn about how the the game is played. I I really think that the big change that you're going to see is everyone's like, oh, the goalkeepers have to have more foot skills. Okay. This, the the coach who realizes that, okay, there's a cross that comes in and the goalkeeper takes it three yards out. And that goalkeeper just takes off with the ball in his hand. 
runs 15 yards and no one can take the ball from him and rolls the ball out and now hits a diagonal or throws it like a javelin running with that much speed and throws it 60 yards. Yeah. Or if there's a ton of room, puts it down and dribbles it until someone gets near him. That's going to be the change. Not having a goalkeeper who is as good as a field play. Facing, right. so a different what position. are you going to do? Right. Does that make sense? Where, where what would yeah. you do? The goalkeeper catches the ball and he just took off and ran by nine of your players. Are you going to foul him? Are you going to send people to, you don't want to defend him. He stinks oh, anyhow. They can't go by um, the, past the box though. So yeah, but what, who cares? You can't pick the ball up if you're in the box. That right. uh, the first one who realizes that there's no advantage to, to limiting yourself in the box who catches across and takes off and says, okay, there's 18 yards of space over there. I'm going to run over there. And if a player comes rushing at me from 20 yards, I'll just put the ball down the line. That's going to be, that's going to be more difficult to deal with than these guys who can hit these 55 yard long balls. So the, the, the sweeper plays a little deeper. Yeah. He can hit a good ball. It'll you be like Gaelic football. Him. It'll be like your Gaelic football that you were playing, Sam. Yeah. And, and that's what I, and what ironically, what prompted this is my daughter is a basketball, volleyball, lacrosse player, and she just plays soccer, caught across, took off and then realized there's no one in front of her. And she just put the ball down and ran about 40 yards and then passed it. And I was like, how would I deal with that if they did that intentionally, if it wasn't a under 10 or under 14 right. average soccer game? And I was like, okay, do you, I mean, I'm going to ask you, Sam, what would you do if the goalkeeper catches the ball, puts it down, takes off? Once to the 18 and then. Sam. Uh, I mean, it, it does happen on certain occasions. It certainly doesn't happen on a regular basis, but if a guy has momentum coming out for a ball, it'll carry him, you know, maybe past the kind of throng of people in the box. And then, but they, but they don't go with it. They usually stop and do kind of like a chess pass or they roll it out. I've never seen anyone put it down yeah. except in like a, you know, usually that means the end of the pickup game when the goalie takes the <laughs> yeah. ball and starts trying to dangle everybody. So I just head home at that point. <laughs> yeah. You know? Well, but then, you know, look, even Messi loses the ball and a keeper's going to lose the ball. And then you got those uh, 70 yard chip shots that uh, going into the back of the net. So, yeah. um, so I think it's just yeah. an interesting one. I, I just, because I'm sitting there thinking when I watched it happen, I'm like, if the player, if, if you teach the guy, say, if you catch a cross deep in the box and you can run past seven players, Keep running because you can't play in the box. It's not like the, the line is useless and just make a pass. Oh, I would have caught your slow ass and stolen <laughs> the ball from you and turned it around. So, um, <laughs> uh, Sam, we had we had Dave Mazer on a couple of weeks. Uh, Sam, you, he sent something interesting that you, you wanted to propose to Greg. Yeah, Greg, I always like to throw a couple of rule change ideas at you. Yeah. And uh, we had Dave Mazer, the St. John's head coach, on a couple of weeks ago. Um, and Dear friend. He, he had one that uh, I liked quite a bit, which is a, the idea of sort of a secondary penalty kick. Um, the difference being if a, if a player is taken down in the box on a clear scoring opportunity, you would get, you know, the traditional penalty kick. But if it's something where it's at the far corner of the box facing away from the goal, it really doesn't involve a scoring opportunity. You'd get a free kick at the top of the box, sort of in that, you know, half moon. You could put it wherever you want and take a take a free kick. Uh, what do you think about that? You know, I, I the, the penalty is too severe many times. You know what I mean? It's, you know, the guy's running diagonally across 18 yards out and you get a piece of him and he, and he you know, he does his best Greg Luganis diving and you get a penalty. It's way too severe for 
for what the what the foul actually represented. And that's an interesting one because 18 yards, you better hit a pretty good one um, to score from 18 yards. Whereas when you're shooting from 12, as long as you don't hit a bad one, you generally score. Um, well, I think he meant, I think he meant a free kick and, you know, the defending team still gets to put a wall in there and everything. It's not, it's not like you have just a free shot at, on the. Oh, net. so he meant you had to hook it around a wall. Yeah. Um, Wow, he stumped him, Sam. <laughs> so that means the wall would be on the six-yard line, right? If I'm doing the math right, or a yeah. little bit above the six-yard line. Um, Remember those? So you just have a Mongolian going on, <laughs> fired in there. It's bouncing all over the place. Um, I like it. I have to think about it more. Um, you know, I'm wondering if you know you let the guy touch the ball and he has to shoot it from inside that area that circle okay inside that's half circle and he lets it rip um and you brought up a uh, greg luganis reference wow that's going way back <laughs> I, I don't know if you remember this greg but when we were uh doing the olympic training in uh colorado springs um he i mean was there? that's the thing he was there he sat down with us everybody his nickname was greg Lusanus, and we um <laughs> but he would um i remember him he sat down in the middle of our training table, the player's table. And I thought, how ballsy was that, man? That was amazing. Because <laughs> look, you're on the soccer team. We're hanging out with the other soccer teams from the east, the west, north, yeah, yeah. south. And we're all sitting there chowing down. And Greg, Greg Luganis, who's, you know, he's a diver. He's just on his own all the time. It's kind of miserable. Yeah. It's like being a wrestler, you know? It's a little bit of lonely existence. He's plopped down. And I remember because we were eating steaks that day for lunch with back in the day when you'd eat a steak in the afternoon training. Yeah. And um, we found buckshot in it. Do you remember that? Oh, that's right. <laughs> we found buckshot in our steak, which is like great to be in Colorado. So, uh, you know, it was fresh. Um, I remember that there was a lot of athletes there. There was, um, was who's the sprinter? Uh, because that was also used to qualify for the upcoming Olympics. They had used that. Yeah. God, he wanted Carl, Carl there, Lewis. Carl Lewis. Carl Lewis, exactly. But the best exactly. to hang out with, with the, I think we were drinking that weird beer because it's a certain percentage. But I mean, the gymnasts, the girls, man, partied hard, and the divers, <laughs> the women divers. My God, they were. There. I know for for some reason those those two those two groups to... and soccer players seem to really you know especially with all our mullets anyway yeah. we're getting nostalgic sam we're uh yeah so so i'll throw another rule change question um at greg one one that i've heard thrown out by a few people is the idea of implementing essentially a backcourt violation uh into soccer i think that's to cut down on teams you know kind of over possessing the ball and you know playing it all the way back to their goalkeeper. So, Going you know, basically one, once you cross midfield, you couldn't go back without turning the ball over, which would obviously change the keeper's position quite a bit. And uh, yeah, what's your take? Yeah. I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm looking at from the other thing and I'm saying, okay, well, I'm not playing any short balls in from my half of the field into their half of the field. Cause they're just going to squeeze um, everything down you know, it's what happens. I coach basketball and that's what you do with your press. As soon as they cross the line, uh, the mid, uh, mid court court line, press. you jump yeah. them because they know they can't go backwards. So I think what it, it sounds like it might be useful, but I think what it would create was just some strange looking situation where people would just intentionally kick the ball out of bounds, knowing that right. there's nothing good coming from us trying to play here. 
Um, and plus, you know, my point with something like that is like lacrosse, college lacrosse. Yeah. I enjoy lacrosse, but it's not free flowing. You know, no. you, you know, they they certain guys don't go past the half, then then they run off and they're subbing midway on a run. It's like a a mixture between hockey and and soccer, and I don't like it. It's no, there's no transition. No transition no. stuff. They've taken it out of the game, which I think makes it boring and not as athletic as it could be. Because you get some real stud athletes playing lacrosse, man. I just love to see him play like just that wide open kind of pickup basketball feel, you know, where yeah. it gets inventive instead of so structured. Yeah, that, that's a, and you know, again, the the interesting thing with the line being like so significant, um, and I think that's the one thing now that the goalkeeper's role has changed. I think we as teams have to think outside the box. I think now goal kicks, you know, for a while teams were just not playing short goal kicks because they're like, well, you got to play it outside the box. And I'm so familiar with seeing it that way that I can't change. Now most teams are playing the ball short and they're playing their thing. So um, anything where you, where you create a, a, a line, I think I'm in Kevin's camp where, like I watch lacrosse and there's, oh, everyone's all over the place. I'm like, uh-uh, my son plays defender and he's been standing next to that kid for 40 minutes, you know? Yeah, um, yeah I, I like the I like the flow of soccer um, and and a line that would prevent you from going backwards. Mm, I don't know. I think it, but I, I think some of these rule changes to think about are good because even like, yeah. you're talking about, we talked mentioned Dino Zoff earlier about how intrusive that was on the game. It just slowed it down. And I find it quite exciting that, you know, you got Allison and Ederson, they're playing the ball with their feet. I mean, they're knocking, they're playing a ball to a, a central midfielder, checking back to the ball at the top of the box to turn. I mean, that never happened. Uh, right. in earlier days you never that would be a ball you just do not play uh because yeah. if one of the goalkeeper and then as the guy checking back to the ball it's tough to receive it you know sometimes those conditions so let me ask you this i i, I uh want to go back to goalkeeping for a second yeah. as a goalkeeper um you know the the united states the, the keepers that we've uh developed here in this country which is uh your favorites and why you got kelly you got friedel you got howard even can throw miola in there uh, or would you throw well, me? Um, I I spent time with Howard. I actually believe it or not, Tony Miola's first start for the national team. I was on the bench backing him up mm -hmm. um, in uh, Giant Stadium, and Tony Miola was, you know, he was just an athlete. Played basketball. Played. You you watched him move around, and he moved like someone who played a ton of sports. Yeah, he moved and well. He yeah. had a ton of power. Um, he could drive the ball miles. Um, and he was, uh, he was, I always enjoyed, you know, training with him. Um, interesting guy, Tim Howard was, but Miola was not that he wasn't, I think all the, you think of the goalkeepers now and they're six foot six, long arm, long leg right. thin, wiry. Miola, Miola was, was built more. like a brick shit house. I mean, he was, yes. he was solid all the way through, yep. like built like a lineman, but a great athlete. So he was yep. always fun to watch. I thought Howard was a little more rangy. Yep. As was Friedel and as was Keller. Exactly. Friedel was a, a little thicker. Um, Mentally Keller or? was, what's that? Like he was Mentally? more uh, powerful. Um, Keller was somewhere between, he was more like a basketball player. Mm -hmm. um he wasn't six seven or six five um but i think that's the i think 
they all could play whatever, you know, if you're picking teams, it didn't matter the game, you pick those guys, you know? Right. Right. Um, and that's, and that's the change. I, I, I would have to see more of these guys like, um, these, the, 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 the Zach Steffens and stuff now. Yeah. The, the yep. stereotypical six foot five ish long arm, thin, um, rangy. Yeah. The, the Haya uh, type now that, that they have, you know, so, yeah, that seems to be, there seems to just be a mathematical advantage to that type of goalkeeper. Um, but I say you, you the, mentioned you even mentioned Miola. Miola, and we're talking about keepers playing with their feet. He was the best with his feet out of all of those keepers, including Greg Kenny, who was rarely yeah. put on that list <laughs> for some reason. But you know, Tony actually uh, for the Metro Stars has played out in the field, and I've I've knocked it around with him. Um, you know, he's a player. He he can yeah. play. You know, he play with his feet. So there there goes that. In fact, he tried to kick field goals too and uh, be on Broadway. Tony and Tina's wedding. He's got. Uh, <laughs> All right, so we're looking forward to the U.S. Men's National Team games. Yeah. Uh, Sam, What we want to talk about some other stuff as well. Uh, Sam, I wanted to ask you about this. The Spanish Super Cup played in Saudi Arabia? Like, what is that all about? Yeah, well, this has been going on for a few years now, I think. And they're not the only ones that do it. Italy uh, has done it, too, with games over there. Um, the Spanish one is a little more of a production because they have a semifinals and finals uh, versus just one game. And, I mean, aside from the fact that, you know, there's a pandemic happening right now and it seems like limiting travel should probably be a priority. Uh, There's obviously, you know, some ethical considerations that come into play um, staging these games in Saudi Arabia, as we're also going to see at the World Cup coming up. But um, you're referring to the head head shopping incident. They're getting a a ton of money, obviously, to play these games. But um, yeah, I, I I don't know. It just struck me, you know, we've had Tom Cotter on the podcast the last couple of weeks. I really wanted to get his take on it because it's something I've kind of become used to, I guess, following European soccer, but I just, yeah. it, it's so strange to me when you kind of really put it in context. Well, it's like anything else, Sam, it's follow the money and uh, that's what they're doing. So, uh, you know, the big bucks, that's, that's what almost sank the world cup, you know, uh, with the, what's his name there, Seth Blatter and all that. I mean, just this corrupt one going to Qatar, it's just absurd. And uh, they jumped the shark for sure on that one. Hey, one one thing I wanted to bring up, guys, because we're talking about, you know, developing goalkeepers. And now we're actually developing lots of field players, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of Europeans, um, a lot of guys playing in Europe. Even just looking at uh, FC Dallas, thought this was really interesting. They signed uh, Jesus Ferreira. Um, they signed him to a four-year contract to take him with the club through 2026. So uh, for some good money. Uh, his father actually was a player too. Uh, we most remember David Ferreira, he had 2010 MLS MVP. Um, so you got a father and son who are both uh, DPs on DP contracts in MLS. But this is what Dallas FC Dallas has put out. So they're actually keeping him home now, Jesus, right? They're not going to sell him overseas, but they sold Chris Richards to Bayern Munich in 2019, Reggie Cannon to Bovista in 2020, Brian Reynolds to Roma in 2021, Tanner Testman in Venezia, and uh, Pepe, this last one, uh, to uh, Augsburg. So that's uh, in excess of $30 million. So uh, we're putting field players together. Um, What do you think, guys? So is this a success, a sign of success? Yeah, I mean, I'll... (laughs) Sam is just Sam is just disgusted by the premise. No, no. I, I, I mean, yeah, for a long time, right. The, the idea that you could only kind of make your name in Europe was the, the prevailing wisdom here that, you know, you had to leave at a young age if you wanted to be a top player. 
Um, and that, that moment kind of marked the, the ultimate step in your career. Um, you know, I'm curious to see if this guy can, can make that kind of name for himself and have the career he wants here. I mean, to me, that's a huge kind of turning point in American soccer when a player is really able to do that, right? When they come all the way through the U.S. system, whether it's through college, whether it's through the academy team, right? Uh, play MLS and are, are truly like a world-class player, not someone who, you know, I'm certainly not saying Christian Pulisic is not an American player, but, you know, mm-hmm. he left for Germany when he was, what, 14, 15 14, years yeah. old. Um, uh, so I, I do think also in terms of getting the attention of fans who are not, you know, like the diehards like we are, that that's going to make a big difference because it's a story that is a lot more relatable to the majority of people here. If the media tells the story, I mean, I'd, I'd always said that when I was doing it, Greg. Yeah, well, I think you hit uh, you hit a nail on the head. There is going through the academy program. What that allows, you know, what that allows that talented 14 year old to do is play against 21, 23, 25 year olds in practice who show him how untalented he is. The problem with the college route um, used to be you played for your club and you may play up a year, you know, he plays up a year. You don't really learn that much 15 playing against 16 year olds, but we take this player who's been with the Academy for whatever, the Metro stars, whoever. And during the week, he's playing with grown men. And that's the one thing in soccer is you could have the greatest coach in the world. They cannot explain to you that you're playing slow. You think because you're running fast and hustling and chasing, you're playing fast. Then you play against someone who plays fast and walks around and you're like, boing, I get it. Right. And that's the... um, and that's the, the challenge of college soccer. The, an interesting thing that's going on right now is almost no high school kids are getting recruited to co- play college. What they're right. doing is you have the COVID year and you have a redshirt year. So Kevin, you know, you have Sam from Stanford, wants to get his master's at Penn State, calls up the coach at Penn State and says, hey, I got two years of eligibility left. I've already played in three national tournaments. I'm 22 years old. I'm not going to flunk out. I'm not going to start drinking like a fish. And so now you have that older older player being pulled down. And now those younger players, you see how, how many deficits a college freshman has. Right. Trying to overcome. Because they are playing, you know, they are playing with other tactically unsound players like themselves. Yeah. I'm telling you, you play with older players in soccer and it's so enlightening. All right. Well, good stuff, yeah. man. Um, so you're coaching the kids now. Have you seen a big difference in just either parents' attitude over the last 10, 15 years or players' attitudes? Are, are, they, are they better skilled coming up, uh, less athletic? What's the story? Well, it's interesting because the one thing that I've actually really been more useful at the youth youth level is, is I won't run a goalkeeper practice. You'll have teams. So Fred is running the team and no one will go and goal. No one will go and goal. And the parents will support that they, their kid doesn't have to go and goal, which is a new one to me. I'd be like, your kid's playing for a half the game. He's not going to, you know, he'll be fine. 
But what we'll do is we'll run entire training sessions where we do goalkeeper drills where you're jumping up, catching, throwing, doing a forward roll, da, 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 da. And then we'll get 10 kids who will jump in the goal for a half. You know, you don't have to play the whole year. And, and removing this um, fear of, of playing goalkeeper. I'm going to bore you with a, with a story. We had a, we had a, uh, it's too late. You already bored us. It's a, <laughs> <laughs> my rule was if we have a kid who wants to play a full-time goalkeeper, he's only going to play half of every game. That's you, you have to be on the field. So right. the other thing was everyone's going to have to play a little bit. So these two parents came up to me and they're like, Mr. Kenny, I, I know, uh, I know Sam has to you know, play in goal today. I said, yeah. I'm like, um, well, he, he just can't do it. I'm like, really? Why? Well, he's nervous. He's he's afraid he's going to lose the game, and all his teammates will yell at him, and and he'll just be crushed. I said, okay, well, tell me more. Well, and he's been worried, and I said, okay, I understand. Uh, what position do you want Sam to play? They're like forward. I said, oh, so you want to, Sam to impose those feelings on someone else? And the <laughs> and the two of them were like. Uh, uh, is it all right? If, <laughs> is it all right if I just get back in my car and pretend we didn't have this conversation? I said, yeah. I said, fine. We fine. It's a wonderful sport. You have to know how to play everywhere. You know. Well, and they learn to. They learn to. Uh, uh, they on my phone here. They learn to to deal with failure and deal with the pressure and their teammates because everybody's got to get in the net, and so. I don't know. I'd say I used to like, I got to be honest when my daughter would get in the net, I'd be like, Oh yeah, dear God. Here. So, <laughs> and I tell you one thing I told all the kids, I said, just distribute the ball out wide left or out wide, right. Don't throw it yep. right down the pike, down the center. <laughs> it's going to come right back down your throat. So, uh, all right, Greg, well, it's always great uh, getting caught up with you. Um, where are you coaching right now? Are you at NYU still? I'm at NYU, uh, the division three, m- most of the stuff is, the winter season there's not much going on other than yeah. the lifting and stuff but i'm coaching hoops and i'm doing some goalkeeping lessons and uh nice you know figuring out what to do now that covid has opened all these opportunities i'm just kind of trying to figure out a, a place to um spread my uh knowledge covid so. covid has opened up opportunities you rarely hear that sam <laughs> all right man well greg it was great talking to you great getting caught up brother i'll uh, i'll see you when i'm on the east coast um sam so that's all the time we have sam anything you want to add before we get off here no i think we got it all yeah Yeah, so we got the qualifiers coming up we got champions league coming up in february as well uh i'll be on a road trip down in uh, florida the first two weeks of february so i'll be be hoping to take in some uh some games there maybe uh knock it around a little bit so okay everybody that's all the time we have today on over the ball i'd like to thank our guest mr greg kenny and uh for anybody else who puts up with him Uh, For Sam Griswold and myself, we'll talk to you next time, everyone, on OTB.